I think I identify first as a human, you know. Then I think it's it's irresponsible to not see myself embodying what it means to live in a male body and then as a black person. Hello, listeners. My name is Aja Monet, and I'm a surrealist, blues poet, organizer, liver lover, dreamer, here now, present with you. Very excited to welcome you all to Sound Bath, brought to you by Lush Cosmetics. This podcast explores what personal, social, and environmental care and well-being really mean in today's society. This show is designed to be listened to in the bath. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. At the end, stick around for a beautiful, meditative, sonic sound bath. Today's guest is my really good friend, poet and author, Jason Reynolds. You know, to me, I'm not sure any of those things count as much as me being a son and me being a brother and me being a friend, uh, somebody who loves deeply. He is a young Adele author, and some of his titles include Ghost, Long Way Down, All-American Boys, and Stamped. Jason thinks deeply about how to connect with kids. He is so good at it. What children need in order to be loved and to feel loved is a big part of his life's work. And then on top of all those things, of course, is me as a as a person who makes art and, and tells stories and tries to, you know, shine a little light on my folks and, and these children and my children. Um, mm. You know what I mean? He also has a lot to say about what it means to be a writer and to try to balance the joy and the creativity in writing while also being a successful writer, someone who people look to and listen to and aspire to be like. And that's it. That's really, I, I'm a simple guy when it gets down to it. I just love and, and try to be of service. That's it. That's what's up. <laughs> you know, how so much stems from our childhood. So much comes from there. And yet children seem to be the least protected, the least defended in society. And knowing that social media is a big part of that. Um, and so as someone who has captivated the inquisitive minds and, and, and hearts of young children and young adults, I wanted to know what are some of the things that you've learned being not just someone who speaks to, to children, but someone who has learned to listen to them. Yeah, I think, well, you know, first let me say that I think that the the one thing that they, that I'm learning most is that they need only three things, you know. And, and perhaps, by the way, maybe we all need these things. Perhaps this is, if, you know, if we had to take the, the concept of love and, and and itemize it, right? If we had to say, like, what are the, what are the components that make it? How do we, if we were to make love an equation, what exactly is the the, the theorem that creates love? Um, and so, for me, I think it's it's humility, intimacy, and gratitude, hmm. right? I think I think I try to move through the world, especially as it pertains to children, operating from a space of humility, intimacy, and gratitude. What does that look like? I think that I think it's, that young people are waiting for adults to to be okay with standing in front of them and saying that I don't know, mm. right? And, 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 and then to also allow them to, to take the platform for a moment to show what they know, right? And to exchange ideas, to exchange 
expertise because young people are the experts of their own lives and their own time in a way that I just don't think we're giving them credit for because we believe that we know what it is to be young. But the truth is, is that we don't know what it is to be young in this time. Hey. Right. It's not the same. I mean, they're living through a pandemic. They're growing up with uh, technology almost as an added appendage. It's a very different, a very different time. And so and so I always enter into space with young people, um, making it clear that I don't have all the answers, that I'm here to be your brother and your cool uncle. But the truth is, is that I can't wait to learn. Teach me your TikTok dance. I'm with it. Like I'm with it. Right. What, whatever it leads us to that next step, which is intimacy, I'm game for. Right. And then it gets to the intimacy part. And I think, well, what does that look like for us? Well, intimacy works the same in every space, um, even when it comes to young people. And in any other space that's not young people, what intimacy requires is that both parties or however many parties involved have to give a little. Right. So so I can't expect you to tell me who you are unless I tell you who I am. But so many young people don't have adults in their lives who are willing to be honest about who they are. Mm. And so they and so they say, little Johnny, tell me what's wrong. Well, why would Johnny tell you what's wrong when he know he don't know you? <laughs> just, just because you're his teacher or a neighborhood person doesn't mean that he knows you well enough to tell you what's the matter because you've never told him anything about you. Nothing. Mm. Why would he assume that you can relate? Right. And once you build that intimacy, whether it be through 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 whatever form of communication, um, I think the last component is is to exercise gratitude. I think young people want to feel like giants and I think and I think they should. And I think it's up to us to be grateful for their lives, because without them, our lives actually have no purpose, no meaning. You know, what I mean, I get people who are like, I don't really deal too much with children. That's OK, but you still want what's best for them. And without them, there is nothing that you're doing that will matter because there is no future to inherit it. And so these, this is my way in. This is the way I move. This is the way I operate when it comes to the shorties. Now, in terms of right now, how, what do I think is going on with them? How do they feel? They feel like we feel. They're sad. They feel just as down and, and, and confused that many, that many of us feel trying to figure out how to process this, these complex times. On top of that, though, the beauty of young, of young life is that sadness is not all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the beauty of young life is that every day is new. The humdrum of life uh, that so many of us adults sort of, you know, ease into without knowing um, they haven't necessarily eased into. Every day is a day to discover a new thing. And because of that, the possibilities keep them hopeful. And because of that hopefulness, if we stay around them, we might actually get to just through proximity, be hopeful as well. I think they're thinking, they're imagining, uh, they're organizing in their way, they're learning how to navigate in this time. They're using things, and this is why I bring up TikTok, is that when you really think about what happens with TikTok, you got kids locked in houses for two years, locked down in, in, in pandemic and quarantine. And then you got one little younger who might feel a little alone to get on TikTok and they do a dance. And a week later, there's a million people their age doing that same dance. You can't tell me that that don't make them feel a little less alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. There, there's something to be said for that, right? And I think they're using these sort of technological mechanisms as a way to at least have a semblance of community, even if it's not the community in the way that you and I might know it. Mm. Oof, yeah, I think when I'm trying to be intentional about using social media, I've always seen social media as it began, which was a way to connect to mm. our folks, right? Um I think what becomes dangerous and I think what Lush is trying to shed light on with even this podcast is just the commodification of the mediums and that no one really is thinking about strategic ways to implement safeguards for our children. Mm, Absolutely. Years ago, I was interning with Nickelodeon and 
we used to do these things called creative on-air promos, which is, remember that part, that segment in Nickelodeon, this show my age, but it was like Nick Jr. and them and be like, now back to the show, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we'll be right back. Because there was federal law that made it so that they had to do that because children from certain ages cannot distinguish between reality and fantasy. So you had to let them know that they were leaving a television program that was fantasy and going back into reality, right? Mm. And that this one little mechanism was a part of how they regulated in some facet the relationship between young people and the television. I don't see that being done in terms of social media. And, and you're right. And I want to be clear that because when I mentioned TikTok as, a, as sort of that resource, I think you're right in terms of the double edge and the slippery slope, right, that, that we are fully aware uh, exists at this particular juncture. So, so uh, you're absolutely right. And so I see you using social media in an interesting way where rather than saying, OK, let's turn it off and not engage it, you've been doing this incredible game <laughs> mm-hmm. where, you know, in the middle of COVID, you kind of just started this game and allowing parents to kind of also engage in this process. I wanted to know in that game making, you know, maybe you can explain a little bit more of it for the listeners, but also what do you find is useful in being able to engage and what has been your balance in in discussing with parents and children the need to step away or the even the need to advocate or maybe for policy that can just try to be more accountable to these corporations who are controlling the way the social media shows up in our lives. Yeah, this is this is a good question. I think, you know, when I started Brain Yoga, which is the name of that that game, you know, yeah, that's it was, what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I serve as the national ambassador for young people's literature, and it's a part of the laureate system. So I'm I'm the laureate for young people's literature, and you know, the, my job is all the laureates' jobs are the same, which is to be America's poet, quote unquote, or America's children's writer, like to be the person that people look to when trying to figure out where it is we are or who is the banner for this particular thing at this particular juncture, right? And so I got inaugurated in January of 2020. <laughs> COVID started in March and my entire platform got got turned upside down. And so I was trying to figure out ways to still engage with young people and to still do my job because, because I take it seriously. Um, mm-hmm. So I created this game Brain Yoga. And it's simple. You just show two images and, and you give young folks 10 seconds to come up with a new invention by combining these two sort of household goods or everyday things. You take a rake and a steering wheel and you say, in 10 seconds, can you come up with a new invention? And some kid might say, oh, I would take the the tines of the rake and I would attach them to the steering wheel. And then I would use that as a special way to catch fish. And uh, who knows, right? And you kind of let their imaginations run. And there is no wrong answer. You just let them do their thing. Uh, and then I would, you know, buy everybody books. And, and it would, I would do this every Friday. The parents would get on, the kids would get on. They would come on my live and they would interact with me. And we just had a blast and it was a, a fun time. And so I think the first thing that you're bringing up in terms of the way that we create safeguards is I think that social media, I think what's missing perhaps is that there's not enough generational bleed. Like, why aren't we doing more communal things on social media intergenerationally? Because that was super dope, right? That was super dope to say like, all right, I I click on the live and it's like a mother, a, a dad, Two kids, yeah. you know what I mean? Like everybody's on there. <laughs> everybody's on there and, and we're all playing this game together. And I, I think this way about everything, by the way. I think this way about YouTube. Furthermore, I think this way about literature. 
right? So like people ban books, we're going through all of that stuff, but there's no reason to ban a book if you just read the book with your kid. Right. If there was more if there was more of like communal sort of spaces for those things to sort of buffer some of the the rabbit hole that has become social media, a rabbit hole, by the way, that all of us are affected by. I'm as addicted as everybody else. You know what I mean? And and trying to break myself free and, 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 and knowing better. So if I'm if I'm struggling, then I imagine what it's like for a 12 year old. Yeah, then that's a great transition and segue into what are the ways that you struggle through usage of social media? And also just in general, like you're a brilliant in terms of time management. I don't know. I need I need the pointers, but for real, like your practice is is admirable. And, and I wanted to ask, like, what are some of your like maybe non-negotiables or practices that you have created around your wellness in order to be the best writer, to show up the best when you come to the page? What are the things that you have instilled in your life that have been useful for you? Yeah, you know, I've worked hard and that work over over time has afforded me a certain kind of space uh, and resource to do certain things that I know and want to be clear about the fact that I know that not everyone perhaps can do it this way, right? So for me, I operate, I, I, I live by like strict habits. You know, I, this is quote I, I read, gosh, when I was 22, W.H. Uh, Auden, to discipline your passion is to discipline your time. And I've been doing this for a very long time. And so I get up at six o'clock every morning. Um, I exercise Right. Because I believe that like all the things have to be functioning. Right. The body has to be where it needs to be in order for the mind to be where it needs to be. Mm. Um, and then I do my, my meditations and my devotions and for the ancestors and for like, whatever I need to ground me spiritually, because I think that's a part of, you know, that's a part of those pistons that have to all be firing. I do all of that. And then around eight o'clock, eight thirty. I sit down and I get busy and I work through until about one o'clock. And I don't really play. Like, don't call me. I'm not going to respond. Everybody who knows me knows that. And I have a separate phone, right? So I have, a, I got a bat phone with a different number. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that phone doesn't have any social media on it or anything like that. So I can leave my iPhone in the basement or in my room or in a drawer and just have the bat phone, which the, the five people who have that, my mother, my siblings, right? Like, like that's who have that number. And, and I focus in, you know what I mean? And, and I don't write it on a laptop mm. because, because the laptop got too, it's too much going on on a laptop. I, Facts. And I write pen and pad and I get busy and I sit down, I make my pot of coffee and I get to it and that's it. Mm. So there's all of that stuff. And on top of that, there's unhealthy obsession. Mm. And, and so I don't want to pretend like the way that I've been able to create work and make work is always healthy. Because mm. I don't because I don't think it is. I don't think it is on me. I, I, I'm in I'm in therapy every Monday. I don't play with that either. Eleven o'clock. Right. And, and this is what I talk about in therapy is I'm trying to figure out how to undo some of it because so much of it is rooted in fear. Uh, and in and in scarcity and in all this other stuff from my childhood that I'm trying to sort out. Mm. It's this strange thing, right? Because you're supposed to have uh, a certain kind of discipline with what productivity looks like in a Western society when you call yourself a writer or mm. a poet or any title for that matter. That somehow, in order for you to be taken seriously as that thing, 
you must be writing books. You must be submitting things. And I think um, part of my spiritual practice, but also um, my actual literal practice as a writer has been kind of what is the, what is healthy, right? And then, and what ways can we disrupt like a Western notion of productivity when it comes to art? Because I don't know that art is the best when it's associated with how well it's doing in the world. <laughs> okay, so there's this like this Japanese, this Japanese uh, tradition, this ancient sort of school of thought that says like, okay, we go to, we go to work to do the thing, but we're only doing the thing that is in front of us and we're doing it with joy, right? But we're not doing it with any intention of being great. We're just doing it in, with, with the intention of it being joyful in the mm-hmm. moment. And it just so happens that if I can do that and I can do that every day and show up with pure intention to just do the thing, to find joy in the thing I'm doing, no, no matter how mundane or minuscule or tedious it might be, whether it's if, if it's making rice, and if I can do that every single day, then 20 years from now, I become great. But my intention mm-hmm. was never to be great. Now, the Western way is to be great, mm-hmm. not to be joyful or purposeful. To, to, to be great we, we I be listening to people have conversations around legacy all the time Oof. like it's always about like yo what's your legacy gonna be and I'm like champ I don't even know what day it is my G I'm trying to figure out I, I, I hope that somebody says that instead of saying like what I contributed to the world I hope somebody says yo cuz was happy he was a good guy he was, he was a joyful man and I don't know that I feel that way in this moment mm. and I don't think that I'm willing to continue to live my life believing that the artist has to be tortured, that we have to be... I just don't know anymore about all of this. I was just like, I'm, I'm, yeah, this is what I've been thinking about. I'm so glad you brought it up because I feel a little less alone. Mm. Yeah, it's making me emotional, you know, because... Yeah. 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 I really appreciate this conversation with you. Of course. I might always get to talk to you. I feel like at least, you know, what I know about you is is always going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's something that, uh, that's good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, it's hard, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. And especially when so much of what you create is rooted in how deep you can go. And, yeah. you know, this, uh, the way society works is where we're supposed to celebrate the product of what was made, but we have no idea about the process by which someone has had to endure, you know, to go to the, to the corridors and the, the places in the human heart and spirit that most human beings never venture because one, we don't have the time. Mm. Uh, you know, two, we're constantly being distracted. And um, and then to have this strange, unhealthy obsession, <laughs> whether it be with language or images or movement, you know, whatever it is that, you know, I guess in some ways all artists have these things that are just, we can't explain them away. Um and I think that what's comforting in hearing you speak is that I have really been trying to define for myself what it means to just find the joy in the creating and also to balance the fact there's a purpose and that there's you know responsibility with what you 
have or your gifts, uh, so mm. to speak. And I wonder, like, as you've become, quote unquote, successful in the eyes of the American public, like, what are the things that you've had to establish for yourself to keep yourself grounded in friendships and relationships? Like, what are some of your wellness practices in terms of your some of your relationships in your life? Because I know that, you know, as you say, you have the bat phone and, you know, you you have certain people that can get to you in certain moments. Um, yeah. What moments are you creating for yourself and for the ones you love? Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. Sunday mornings is my mom, right? She knows that on Sundays I'm, I'm with the OG. And that's a non-negotiable. That's where I'm at Sunday mornings. From from 9 to 1, we kicking it. And we ain't doing nothing but talking trash and watching TV and laughing and joking. And I'm doing stuff around her house. And, but that means the world to me. Um, to, I mean, she's 76, right? So she in her twilight years. And, and, the, and the winter of her life, so to speak. And it's been a gift to spend that time uh, with her. Um, same thing with my father, who I lost a couple years ago. It was a blessing to spend that time with him. And then there are things like, I got the same friends, Aja. Like, I'm, I feel so fortunate because I got the same friends I had since I was like five, six. And all these dudes, they got keys to my house. They got keys to my car. And so they know, like, all right, we know that we can pop. If Jay, if he in that hole for too long, we're going to go over there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know. And I got therapy. I, I go to therapy. I don't know. That's a privilege, but but mm-hmm. it's but it's important to me. The last thing I'll tell you, one of the perks of, of being successful, even though it comes with an awful lot of pressure and the other stuff they were talking about is, yo, I I got season tickets to the game. <laughs> and, and I ain't going and I ain't gonna hold you. It's it's been the greatest, uh the greatest addition to my mental health in 20 years. Really? I'm, I'm so serious. It seems so silly, but, and you know this, Aja, you know this because I, I just know how our brains are, how we work similarly. Look, it's really difficult for us to be in any space, whether it be a conversational space, a social space, intellectual space, whatever it is, without figuring out how to send everything that we're taking in through the prism of creativity, filtering it through something that just might be written. Except for when I go to the basketball game. I turn it all off. It's just sheer me just rooting for my team. I ain't thinking about writing nothing. I ain't thinking about none of that. And so for those three hours, twice a week or however, whenever they got home games, I make it a point. No, nothing gets in the way. It's mental health, bro. Like it is. A lot of people watch those games to get yeah. away or to get through something. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, homie, I don't know if I would have believed it until I started going to every game. And now I'll be in there. I'm telling you, I'm in there like just screaming for these strangers who are playing. And then I built this community around me, right? My man Big John sit in front of me. My man C sit to the left of me because everybody got season tickets. So we all sitting together every game. And then you build this strange family of these weird misfits of all different ages. You know what I mean? My man C got MS. My man John is an old white dude. I mean, like, it's just a weird thing. And we all just be there screaming for these dudes. And it makes me feel so good. You know, that's <laughs> it's like actually really powerful and comforting to hear you talk about this, especially as a Black man, because, you know, this is part of, it sounds like part of your wellness practice. But when I think about men, I'm thinking about like, yo, what is it with men and sports? I feel like mm. sports is the place where there's kind of this unspoken permission to be masculine and hyper-masculine and, and intimate. And yeah. 
I wonder what that stems from. But I mean, I, I, I secretly think we all project ourselves onto the players, right? I think we yeah. are. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, it, like good, good. I'm glad you know, you're being honest. Of course, of course. Listen, there's not a day that goes by that says that I don't wish I was LeBron James, right? It's like, <laughs> but that being said, but 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 that being said, I think that to some extent, there's something that they're modeling for us, though. I equate it to literature, right? I'd equate sports to the to the fantasy novel, right? It's like, well, why do we have fantasy novels and what is the point of the dragons and this, that, and the third? And everybody will tell you it's because, you know, usually the person who is slaying the dragon is is marginalized in some way. And so you have young people who project themselves into the stories and say, like, if, if, if I can slay a dragon in this book, then I might be able to slay a dragon in my real life. And I think with the way that we, so many of us sort of look at athletes is that athletes are oftentimes people who are coming from marginalized communities or who have had marginalized experiences. I mean, like the stories of the majority of specifically black athletes uh, is that like, yo, I'm coming from a particular space and this is my way to slay the dragon. This is what I had to slay the dragons of my environment and, and, and of my reality. Yeah. Mike Tyson Ooh. is a Mike Tyson is a prime example of this, right? He coming from, from Brownsville. This is all I know. I, I have to slay the dragon of my environment, the dragon of what they said is meant for me in my future. I got to slay the dragon. So what I'm going to do, everything I can to win. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think that the, framing it in the in the way of kind of like any any other sort of story that we try to tell or that we've has been told, any fantasy novel of, of sorts, like it's very powerful because I think that makes a lot of sense. And... I think most people can find themselves in that story. I wanted to, there's like two last questions I have yeah, for yeah. you. And one one is, um, what have you learned through actual conversations, speaking and talking to people? What are some of the things that you think are, are I guess, the benefits of, of having critical conversations and maybe some of the limitations of, of words? What I'm digging into heavy is the idea around resonant frequency. I actually think that communication has, it has to do with language, but not in the way that I think we often think about it. I think it, the only thing that matters is, is something resonant or is it dissonant? And and when I think of resonant frequency, this, this engineering term that typically has to do with, like, it's the way that engineers build bridges, basically. So, like, engineer builds a bridge and they say, like, yo, we got to make sure we take into consideration the resonant frequency of the bridge because if the wind blows and it hits a particular sort of a sonic frequency that we can't hear, that frequency could resonate and topple a bridge, right? It's the same concept that causes the opera singer to crack the glass when she hits the high note. And the basic principle is if you pluck a glass and the glass resonates, whatever that tone is, if you match that tone with your voice and sustain it, it'll crack the glass because you're mimicking whatever the matter is that makes up the glass. Now, if I think about all of this and I think about human beings, I don't have to mimic being a human being because I am one, which means if I can tap into who I am Right, my, my honesty, my, that's why I say I like talking to you because I know you're going to be honest, right? If I can be honest and tap into just get to know more and more who I actually am and express that and sustain it, no matter who I'm talking to, because they are human too and we are made of the same things, the glass will crack. 
right? I use it for young people. I use it for OGs. I use it for people who hate me. I use it for people who love me. I'm like, look, at the end of the day, the honesty in you will always attach itself to the honesty in me, even when it's uncomfortable. Like, that's a human thing. Just be honest with me. Like, like how you and I had an emotional moment minutes ago, that's resonant frequency. Mm-hmm. And that is what I'm thinking about these days more than anything in terms of conversation. Am I showing up as myself? And, and am I showing up as myself so much so that the person I am talking to has to be themselves? Oh. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. The last question I have for you, and I've been asking everyone this as we end, um, you know, speaking about frequency and resonating, what mm-hmm. sounds are the sounds that bring you the most calm or peace of mind? Children or elders or both laughing. That's it. It works every time. (laughs) Great. Yes. Thank you, Jason. Always good to talk to you, Aja. One of the favorite things I loved that Jason shared was about kids. It's been wonderful to see his commitment to kids in the role that he has with being the children's laureate of the United States. It's really dope to hear about his joy and the need for humility, intimacy, and gratitude to feel love, not just for children, but for all of us. These are things that I definitely take away from this conversation because I know that I need them and I know you all need them. And maybe we can be more intentional about how we show up for ourselves and there and for the children around us. Jason is real. He's a real person. You can listen to him and you can hear in his voice. This is a human being who knows how to talk to other human beings and to listen. And I think that that's a really good example of a conversation that cleansed me, that's for sure. So I hope it cleansed you. <laughs>